Welcome back to Millennial Mental Health. I'm Stephanie Contour O'Hara, licensed professional counselor. And today I have with me Jonathan and Alyssa. Feel free to introduce yourself. Well, hello there, audio listening folks. My name is Jonathan Hopkins. I too am a licensed mental health counselor because we like to have wackadoodle titles in every different state. Uh, But Stephanie, thank you for having me on. Alyssa, introduce yourself. Uh, Well, hello. I'm Alyssa, (laughs) John's wife. I am not a mental health therapist. (laughs) I am a visual branding strategist. I help large and small entrepreneurs get their branding consistent and looking good and get to teach about it. And I just love doing it. So it's been a ton of fun. And that's a little bit about me. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of Game of Thrones with the lady shaking her bell. Shame! (laughs) We we have a pose in our midst here. It's not another therapist. therapist. I'm sorry. I'm in the creative field. Definitely not a therapist. It's totally fine. I've had other non-therapists on here. We've had two um, mothers talk about becoming mothers and what it's like to be a mother and as a millennial. So... This is not a podcast strictly for <laughs> therapists to be on, so no worries. You're going to have to edit in that little audio from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Just get a, get a bell up your own and shake it in the distance. <laughs> okay, so to start our conversation today, I'm going to ask the first question. Um, mental health has been something that people have been talking about more and more over the fa- past five years or so. What do you think has added to the conversation when you consider spirituality and religion? This is a broad one here, and it's something that I take a lot of time to think about personally as someone who self-disclosure time here. (laughs) I know we're trying to keep this to a minimum, but I'll just break the ice here. Um, Who was raised in a predominantly Christian household and Southern Baptist to be specific. So, um, that I feel like is specifically denominationally within Christianity that comes with a lot of some strict rules and guidelines and the way that is preached to youth and whatnot. So as I've gotten older and went to grad school and have a number of years under my belt of counseling folks, it's been interesting to see one, how I've evolved with my own thinking in regards to spirituality and my own conception of God, but also seeing how my clients and other friends and people we know in the community wrestle as well with, I would say, those crossroads of like what's going on with them internally and how do they better define what that is as far as mental health. Are these dire spiritual issues going on? Um Pardon the um there. I'll work on my my best to keep those to a bare minimum here. <clears throat> no worries. But I'm not in Toastmasters. I'm not counting your ahs and ums. <laughs> to, to keep myself clean, specific here and to avoid verbal diarrhea, I think what I've seen that answers this question to the best is a more conversations happening and in some circles, deeper acceptance, and then other circles, stark denial of mental health and, I would say, lack of closeness to God or what have you from a, I would say, from a 
Christian lens here. That is what I've noticed the most recently, Alyssa. Yeah, I guess I'll tag on with that. <laughs> so I was also raised in the Southern Baptist culture. Um, John and I are still Christians. We're definitely a lot more on the non-denominational side. We're pretty chill <laughs> with our faith and whatnot. But um, it it has been interesting seeing mental health back then and mental health now. And because growing up, like when you would talk about like being depressed or suicidal or anxious or any of these like really big topics, you would often hear in a lot of church streams like that, oh, we'll just pray. If you just pray, it's going to go away. If you just read your Bible more, it's going to go away. If you just follow, you know, X, Y, Z. And this, and this might be more than Christianity, right? It could probably be for a lot of religions where they probably had the same response. We'll just do you know, these things, and it's all of a sudden going to go away. But, you know, for majority of people, it's those issues are still there. It's still deeply rooted in there. And so, I mean, personally for me over the last few years, in my own friend circles, and even in my own spiritual growth, I have been seeing a lot more people turning around, becoming more accepting of mental health, um, understanding that it's a great thing to have, right? It's a good thing to see a therapist. It's a great thing to talk about these things. And uh, I don't know if you've seen like, people started making sure it's like, it's okay to have a therapist in Jesus too, you know, like, <laughs> it's fine to do that. Um, because it needs to be talked about, you know, like it needs to be more accepted and and whatnot so i have seen a shift lately in some circles not in all <laughs> at least from this this perspective i don't know about like other religions but yeah yeah i have a friend actually who grew up in very like structured religious um group and very like can't wear like you know your arms can't show, like you can't like have your, any sort of like, I guess, detection that you're a woman be evident, um, very, very strict. And there was a lot of denial of mental health in, in her experience. And only probably in the past, like two to three years, are they now talking about like, oh, it's not just praying and like attending church and like going to Bible study that's going to help you. Like, it's also important to, acknowledge that mental health is a thing and, and seeing a therapist is a valuable resource. So I'm glad that even fairly conservative churches and denominations are now opening themselves up to the idea that like a trained professional can also be of service. I've also seen a lot of Christian-based therapists be able to work with churches to get direct um, client referrals from them, where the you know, whole congregation can't just see the priest or the pastor or the father, whatever um, name they have in that denomination. But they're also saying like, hey, there's this licensed therapist that has a Christian focus. Like we, you know, want you to go see them and they'll actually pay for the services um, for them to see that therapist. So I think there's a really strong movement where religion and mental health are kind of coming almost in this like nice little friendship, so to speak, <laughs> which I think is really great. 
which I don't think said like existed maybe back in the nineties or in the early two thousands. Yeah. It was almost considered like a sign of weakness, right? If you wanted to see a therapist or like something was wrong with you, if those things weren't working and you had to go see a therapist. And so I do love like now, especially in the midst of a pandemic, we're all starting to realize like, Oh my gosh, we miss community. We miss seeing people. We miss these like old things that we used to do in our lives. And it's drastically changed everybody's mental health. Right. (laughs) So, um, I, you know, John and I, like we've been a lot more intentional about the, the faith communities that we've been in. And we want to make sure that, you know, they value mental health, that they're doing like what you said, they're encouraging, Hey, go to mental health therapists before anybody on the staff, things like that. Um, so I do think it's really cool that we are seeing a transition, I guess, more nowadays. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Do you have any other thoughts, John? I don't want to like cut you out in case you had any other thoughts. (laughs) You looked like you were thinking there. No, I just, I think where my mind was floating with all that is just again, the doozy of the year that we are emerging from and the various different displays of Christianity, depending on which kind of version of cereal you want that you see um, on TV and social media and what have you. And I think it's not that I think it's an important disclaimer to throw out there, but like as a therapist who was trained in a non-spiritual environment, I freaking love that. And that's something it's forever altered the way that I do my own therapy and the way that I approach my clients and let them take the lead in these conversations and approach them from a standpoint of just care and empathy and not non-judgment. I think that's judgment is the word that just continues to come to mind, um, continues to come to mind when I think about how spirituality and mental health like connects together. So I'm professionally speaking, I'm continuing to play a part in bringing down that wall and actively being somebody who yearns for inclusiveness and care for people of all walks. I I don't care where you come from. Everyone deserves counseling and it's, it's important. Yeah, for sure. And we, we, both of us, you know, John and I have dedicated our entire careers to that. So I definitely think it's, almost one of the highest values that I have is like being able to be someone that other people can come to and talk to and, and share their story, no matter what walk of life that they come from. As we'll make a bad pun and say, we don't want to be labeled crooks and rob people of these experiences. (laughs) It's, it's important to make that space. I'm just trying to make Stephanie laugh here. That's all. (laughs) So the next question I have is how has society's issues impacted mental health in the average millennial, in your opinion? And what about other generations? I want to see my face start with that one. Yeah, go for it. You have some mighty big questions for this. That I feel like a condensed podcast a podcast episode could be turned into like a th- th- dissertation of some kind. But if we're looking at more recent generations, you're seeing clearly a trajectory for where people strongly desire 
therapy and mental wellness and balance and all aspects of their lives. It's not just a fad. It's not a buzzword. It's, it's something that you see greater priority. And there's another word I'm thinking of. It's not just priority, but the value. It's the value that's placed on it, where it's just as important as any other facet of your health. And not to say that previous generations didn't view it and such. I believe there are pockets of people, no matter what age bracket you come from, where depending on how they were raised, the social circles they came to, they too also valued that kind of intrinsic well-being. And so for like the modern millennial, as we're talking about here, it's refreshing to see and it's something ironically, even within like the last few years talking with colleagues, where I'm like, man, I wonder if we'll start having these conversations more actively or I wonder if I wonder if society will start at least thinking more open minded with this and look at where we are. Fast forward a few years. And so I only see this continuing to grow and finding unique ways to balance how people become engrossed with that mental health topic of mental health and, you know walking i would say those fine clinical lines of figuring out what is going on with them versus what could be impacted by groupthink or social media or other things because that's the thing that i find most fascinating with the advent of TikTok and mm -hmm. other platforms that make content creators and influencers beacons in some cases of mental health and you know and it enables them to showcase, you know, for other people. I hope I'm making sense here on some level, but that's, yeah. Yeah, I think, and I don't want to jump over Alyssa, but I think I have mixed feelings with social media and mental health. And I don't want to throw TikTokers under the bus, but like TikTokers and, and mental health. I think there's some people that have really good, valuable information out there. And then I think there's just like Joe Schmo on the side of the street, like trying to sell something or like saying that this is like mental health, like help. And it's not, or like claiming certain things are certain diagnoses. Like, Oh, everyone has borderline personality disorder or this person's like bipolar. And I'm sure that existed outside of social media, but now it's almost like a lot in, in people's faces more. So I have mixed feelings about it. I think, I think also, you know, there's people like, you know, I love Brene Brown, so I'm just going to bring her into this. But like Brene Brown having her own podcast and like sharing her side of the story and then other people who are reputable and respected um, being able to showcase their information to large audiences in ways that are digestible to them, not just like in scholarly textbooks. So I think there's like both sides to that. Um, so I just wanted to kind of throw that in there um, about my feelings about social media and mental health. Um, Cause it's a mixed bag, but. I'll can I throw, can I throw one more layer onto there? And that Alyssa, pardon me. Pardon it's okay. Me. Oh, it's okay. Go for one, it. one of the things I've been most fascinated with in recent months is a group that I follow called guardians mental health. And they're a nonprofit who have a really cool, clinical team that's comprised of professionals and lay people and their goal is to reach out to the broader gaming community through discord and other platforms and i i play a game called destiny 2 in my free time and i'm actually friends with some of these people through that organization in the game and it's been great to see 
again, if we're talking about platform and reach here, what they've been able to do with Discord, which is a really cool communication platform for a lot of nerds and just people all around the world, that they've developed bots and tools for that, that they're working um, to continue to refine that offer guided automated mental health links and and you know references for people when somebody is streaming and let's say a watcher comes in there with suicidal tendencies or passive or active thoughts that they're communicating and to see to see tools like that coming about again how we're talking about the modern millennial and kids and people coming up in this like i feel like some people are getting saturated with it in a good way to where it just it normalizes and continues to destigmatize the, the the conversation in very unique circles. Um, Alyssa, what are your thoughts on all this? <laughs> well, circling back to the whole societal issues, I, technology was the biggest one, and I'm glad you guys talked about social media because, like, the kids of this generation, our generation, like we grew up on video gaming, right? Like we, I mean, I was outside a lot too growing up, but I also grew up to be a video, video gamer and kids, I mean, John are like besties with the kids down the street. They're super into gaming. Like technology has just become so ingrained in our lives and social media is such a huge aspect of that. And I'm totally with you, Stephanie, where there are some days where I love social media. Social media is great. And there's days where I'm like, oh no, what have I done? I've wasted all day, like, you know, looking at these things and trying to talk with people and, you know, have discussions that aren't going to really make a difference at the end of the day, you know? Um, and so it is tough finding that balance with technology and social media. And it's, it's just going to keep on changing and getting a little bit more crazy and intense, right? Like um, there was the that documentary, The Social Dilemma. I don't know if you saw it. Okay. So, I mean, that right there was such a good glimpse at what's been going on and how it's naturally just changing our minds with a lot of different things. And um, Black Mirror, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have watched that, but some of those episodes on Black Mirror, they're so, it, it's kind of crazy. I'm like, I feel like a lot of this stuff is going to happen real soon. And for anyone that isn't familiar with Black Mirror, it is a Netflix show where each episode tells a different story and it's all based around technology. It is very, very strong with, you know, if technology is kind of taking over the world and super ingrained in our lives, what would certain things look like? And so, for example, even today, there, there was an episode on Black Mirror where uh, this lady's husband had passed away and a new software came out and you're able to talk to quote unquote, your loved one. It, and it, what it was, was it's an AI software that mimics your, you know, deceased one's audio, you know, video, the way that they spoke, all this stuff. And so Black Mirror came out this episode, I want to say like years ago. Today, Microsoft filed a patent to do that. Wow. And so, <laughs> and so it's just mind blowing to think where, we're coming from and where we're going with technology and social media. Cause and my heart goes to you guys because you know, you're both listening and helping people digest these things. And I feel like sometimes that stuff is going to make these conversations a little bit harder to have, you know? 
Yeah, I think when 13 Reasons Why came out, and I know this, I'm dating myself, that was a few years ago, but I worked in a mental hospital um, strictly focused on teens that had homicidal and suicidal ideations. That was, we had such an influx of like suicidal ideations and wow. suicide attempts when that show came out. And it was just kind of like so upsetting. Like, unfortunately, mm -hmm. I'm not sure of the statistics off the top of my head, but suicide is one of those things that I know over and over again has been shown to have this like contagion effect. Um, so with that show, even though I think it was attempting to break down like mental um, health stigmas and barriers for people to talk about these things, I think it also had an, an adverse effect. effect. Wow. So it kind of like goes both ways, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Totally. <laughs> I know with that show, I don't know if they did it on the in the first season, but I feel like after that point, they now have a warning and disclaimer, you know, before the episodes. And I was always curious about that. I, you know, I was wondering what are the statistics after that show came out, especially with a young audience watching it. And like you said, right. It, it's tough because like you, they, I feel like they wanted to have those conversations. They wanted teens and kids to know this stuff happens every day you can talk about it with somebody, right? But at the same time, is it romanticizing suicidal attempts, you know, and everything else that goes on that show? That show is wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's pros and cons to it too. And I, yeah. think are, I think the good thing though, is society is talking more about mental health, right? When horrible things happen, it's not just, oh, this person's evil and we should condemn them. It's like, well, what's also going on with their mental health? That's at least yeah. somewhat being brought to the table. It's not really being dived deep into and we're not necessarily creating a lot of like laws and structure around that just yet. But I feel like mm -hmm. we're on the cusp of that. And I think that can really move society forward. Um, once we really like think about like, why do shootings happen? Why do people have you know, guns in their car and, you know, end up sh killing cops for no reason. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's all of these things that come into to play. And I, I think f there's like a, a glimpse, like a horizon. I see the sun like yeah. coming, to the, <laughs> coming into the conversation now. That's true. Mm -hmm. So any other thoughts, John? I don't want to put you on the spot, but no. No, it's okay. That's, that was good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My next question is, um, where's the intersection of mental health and spirituality lie when someone or when working with individuals in a mental health crisis? That's all for me, you, that, John. For me, that's an easy one. It comes down to the person and do they have a faith background? Do they not? Um, me personally, I take a very, very strict policy as because we were trained well and we know not to bring that into therapy unless obviously it's not it's let me watch my words here it's not obviously but your client is the one always leading the discussion and so it's for us to use mental health first aid and moments like that to just figure out hey what's going on with you and check in with people and somehow if we are able to whittle down to spirituality being a component either because of the byproduct of the situation going on or what led them to dealing with the crisis they're in then there's a lot of conversations that can come from that but again i think i keep on circling back to just 
even though I believe in God, I believe in an afterlife and all that jazz, like it's weird. Like I, I remember getting into this field and I'm going to try to make this relevant to the question, but I remember my parents being like, well, John, like, are you concerned that you won't be able to talk about your, like your faith and with God with people and stuff like that? And I'm just like, even back then, like, no, I don't care about talking about that stuff with people. And like, to me, it's like, it's such a personal topic that any kind of artificiality that comes with that, to me, it just reeks of bullshit and I don't want to deal with it. And my mom makes a joke all the time saying she'll probably be scrubbing toilets when she gets to heaven. I'll pick the gum off of God's shoes if he wants me to. I'm not, I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to navigate these conversations so tactfully, but do so with, like I said before, care and empathy that again, trying to see where somebody is at in the midst of a crisis is it's a beautiful fine tuned process to just simply be there, shut up and to listen to people. And I think that's, that for anybody who listens to this, you know, if you're looking to be a better advocate and an ally to people who are in crisis, put a zipper on your mouth. Listen, the ministry of presence is the greatest gift that you can give anybody and will lead directly to like what we're talking about this, this somewhat with this question here, you know, about the details behind what's going on with them. And you can find out what the deeper cause might be. And you might have an answer. You might not. Oftentimes you're not going to. So be prepared for that. And you're going to be highly uncomfortable. But, you know, find peace within that. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot to say about people in crisis and how they perceive their crisis and how the people around them perceive their crisis and whether or not like family members attempt to bring in spirituality into it. I've seen, you know, that go well and I've seen that not Mm. go well, Um, you know, and And as a therapist, I will say sometimes when I see really tragic things happen, um, unfortunately, I've counseled people who have had people in their family commit suicide. And it's extremely difficult to to talk to them and work with them after the the tragedy. Um, And, you know, I try to keep my own ideas to myself, but working with them when it's almost like they start questioning their own uh, spirituality and religion after something like that happens can become a very like difficult thing to navigate, I think as a therapist and the best thing I could do obviously is listen and, and validate their emotions and validate their experiences um, because it's definitely not an easy thing when someone in that situation begins to question um, their faith. And I think I see a lot of faith crisis and faith um, after a mental mm-hmm. health crisis. Can I, and like, to me, I find that to be one of the coolest conundrums of counseling because it probably sounds weird to phrase it this way, but when you see people struggling with the hows, the whys, and, you know, the capacity people have to harm themselves like that or to, I know, I know we're, it seems like we're focusing a lot on suicide here, but, you know, given the climate of this past year, and again, I laughed earlier and said, ho, ho, what we emerged from, but it's, I want to say, 
the topic of like severe depression and suicide is probably more relevant than ever because of the all the tragedies people have faced from death the death of loved ones to loss of jobs to being on the brink of like family collapse because you can't support one another and when i say it's a cool conundrum it's i think it's one of the most most rich areas to explore in therapy because seeing somebody in a safe and comfortable environment bring up these questions but at the same time come to grips with it in their own way is a very rewarding thing to encounter because as much as you want to sit there and try to say something or verbally guide them or either minimize or validate to the extreme it's really cool just to see when it happens and it doesn't always but i hope your listeners don't think i'm some crazy uncle here i promise you people it's been a long week i do zoom counseling every day for way too many hours and this is <laughs> as a, I'm not laughing like I'm deranged. I'm just laughing because I'm happy to be here. And Stephanie accepts me. That's what's important here. Of course, we're happy to have you. Yeah, I, I think the state of 2020, I, I, it's it's been a challenge for so many people. And I think the amount of mental health crises that evolved or erupted from 2020 are probably countless. The amount of family discord that I have witnessed is innumerable. Like I, I've seen people like literally stop talking to their, their loved ones, which is, I think a mental health crisis in itself, Mm -hmm. like severing a, a relationship with someone like your mother or your father, or like even your husband or wife over politics or over, differing beliefs it's it's been a very hot water um time and hopefully we're coming to the other side of that at least that's what i i hope is on the horizon um but i think people really need to seek out support and mental health um support to be specific um and in order to help themselves get through this time because it's it's not easy um with the amount of discord that has existed. Mm-hmm. Totally. Alyssa. What? How you doing over there? I'm okay. I'm just listening to the two of you. Well, I like, I think you probably have good perspective in living with somebody who's doing this work day in and day out and coming from a completely different industry. Um, yeah. Where, and the, maybe I don't mind putting the spotlight on myself here for a second. Where have you seen the intersection of mental health and spirituality with me in terms of like the impact that this work has had? I want to say that's something I feel like you and I have some pretty good conversations most of the time about navigating all this and keeping a level head about it. Yeah, it it is very interesting being um, the wife of a therapist and seeing you. it's, it's hard because my heart breaks because I see the amount of work that, I mean, you too, Stephanie, I see the work that you all are doing and, you know, obviously for HIPAA reasons, I'm not in the office 
while he's counseling. I'm not like listening to anything that's going on. Don't worry, John doesn't tell me anything. But I I know the effect that it has on him. And by you know at the end of the day, he usually wraps up, and I can feel the weight of everything that's happened on him. I'm I'm also very much like an empath, enneagram type two, right? Like I'm very emotional, can pick up on these things. And so it's been tough kind of watching him uh, really pour his heart into the people that he's serving and not taking enough time for himself. And so that's been really hard for me because I know, I know that he knows that self-care is important. I know that self-care is important, but it's really tough kind of watching it from the sidelines. And uh, I've seen him, especially, you know, in the last like here between the pandemic, his father passed away um, from battling cancer. That was a rough few months navigating all of that. And I saw him wrestle with his faith in that time too. And so as a wife, I was like, well, what can I do? I can only do so much, right? I'm not a therapist. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm a wife. So like John said, like, I'm like, okay, let's all listen, right? The dog and I, the dog, the chickens and all of us, we, we sit. The dog, and- the dog is a PhD. He's a pod, a PhD. Get it. <laughs> Our dog is a counselor. <laughs> He's a good boy. Um, but, you know, I, I sit and I listen and I talk with him about it as much as I can. And I encourage him to take some more time for himself and whatnot so it is a very interesting place to be she has a lot of grace and patience with me that's for sure so i'm not really sure that i'm not really sure the utility (laughs) and me asking that question here but like i think again i think for anybody listening like you're not alone with any of these struggles it doesn't matter if we're therapists or gandhi or ronald mcdonald everybody has their own unique subset of like issues and problems they face and everyone needs someone to listen yes being vulnerable enough to admit that and to humble yourself to go start that process is a big thing Yeah, and I think showing compassion and having self-compassion are huge things that i talk about every day with people And I think that's sometimes like the hardest thing to do as an individual, even for myself. Like I talk, oh, hey, you should really practice like self-compassion. And it's like, okay, well, Stephanie, you also need to practice that too. And, you know, as a therapist, I I do hold myself to, you know, the standard of providing excellent care. Um, And sometimes I feel like I fall short of that. And it's like, okay, well, just provide yourself self-compassion. Today wasn't your best day because of X, Y, and Z that was happening outside of the therapy room. Um, so yeah, I, I think that could be an overall like takeaway from that conversation is like showing empathy and compassion and just overall understanding of everyone has a story, um, that maybe you don't know about that is coming into the room with them and just trying to honor that space. Mm -hmm. You're doing a good job tonight. Great way to put it. (laughs) 
while you were talking there for a little bit, Stephanie, I just remember some of our time in grad school and just like we were in the thick of it and the stress was terrible. I just have vivid memories of you just like, rawr, 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 and we'd just be walking and just some of the grumbles you do. We're, we're, so, we're so well put together now as therapists. But like, now look at you. I'm I'm underneath up. the surface, folks, we're lunatics. Don't worry about it. I can't believe sometimes that it's been seven years. That I was going to say it's been seven years. Seven years. And it's so crazy to think of like how much things have even changed in seven years, not just with like myself, but also like, you know, the world. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to get political, but we're definitely a different political climate seven years ago. Um, And the last four years have been a very different political climate. And now we're maybe in a new political climate. Let's see. I mean, it's a whole new adventure after the inauguration of a new president. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I hope though that both myself and everyone else can feel like there's room for healing and there's room for moving forward. And, you know, none of us are alone, whether you're 30 something like us or you're 40 or you're 50 or you're a baby boomer that lost their job. I know my mom lost her job this last year. It's been really hard on her. Like, I think every generation was impacted differently um, with 2020 and whether it was their mental health or their spirituality or what something I think like was triggered in everybody in in 2020. Yeah. Hmm. I got my license today. They mailed it to me in the state here. So that was cool. Awesome. Congratulations. I know. I was thinking about all the changes that have happened in seven years. I'm way more tattooed now than I was seven years ago. So it's kind of like a road a roadmap of the, the, the trauma that I've accrued. So but I say that comically just because I, I like to wear some of that metaphorically on my sleeve. So Yeah. It's been a long time. And I hopefully we'll have many more years as as uh if nothing else, as well-balanced human beings, I can't say that I'm going to be a therapist forever um, because it's draining and hard work, but I hope that the longevity of me supporting people in the community uh, can sustain, you know, a lifetime. Stephanie, I'm going to speak this out to the universe. I'm going to scoot up to my mic for this one. (laughs) If I ever stop being a therapist... I want to work in a warehouse full of movie props out in California and be like a librarian for that stuff and catalog it all. That's the dream. I can confirm. That's the dream. This has been a dream of his for a long time. He tells me this all the time. So if you therapy, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this. If you and I both ever leave the field, Stephanie, I'll give you a personal invite to the Warner Brothers Studios. That would be awesome. I would love to see, even though the show's done, I think Warner Brothers helped produce Supernatural. Mm -hmm. I would love, love, love to see the props or that uh, Impala that they drive around. Such a cool feeling. Uh, I love that stuff. So. All right, back to these questions. we're, We're getting off the bean path here. Okay. How about we'll I'll just ask like one more question because we've already talked for quite some time. Um, hmm, let's see. I guess how does your mental 
health impact your considerations for both work, business, like how you take care of yourself differently, perhaps as a millennial being informed about mental health and perhaps like I think other generations maybe have. Okay, John's pointing at me. So I guess I'll go first. Uh, this is a good question. So for me, as a solopreneur, so I work, I work on my own. I, you know, have tried working with agencies and working other creative jobs full time. And it was just not for me. Got burnt out. <laughs> you know, like some people are designed for it and some people aren't. And I very have quickly realized that I am just, I don't do well in, in nine to five jobs, you know? So I had realized in the past I was getting extraordinarily burnt out, really frustrated. And I think that's why I went the solopreneur route because I could create my own schedule. That was like a big thing is I wanted freedom. So I could create my own schedule, choose my own hours and have boundaries. I think this is the point I'm trying to get to is creating boundaries for myself. And so over the last few years and John has also been great with encouraging me to do more of this even now. Uh, I've had to place better boundaries on my business and I've had to place boundaries on this is the type of work that I want to do. This is the type of work that I don't want to do because I know perhaps maybe that's not the type of client I want to work with, or I know that's going to cause me a headache <laughs> like this whole time, you know? So uh, having boundaries has been super necessary and important for my mental health. I've noticed that it's kept me in a more of in a place of peace than in, you know, anger or anguish or anxiety. There have been a few times where, and John can attest to this, where things happen last minute. I can't say no, it kind of slips out of my control a little bit, but for the most part, I'm in a much better place mentally speaking, because I've really drew the lines for those boundaries. So for anyone that is in a similar spot as I am, place better boundaries. <laughs> it pays off. It works. That's a huge one. Uh, so that, and then, you know, outside of work and business, I have not been doing a great job of it so far this year. I'll just be totally honest. But this year I was like, you know what? I really want to take Fridays off and just have it for myself. Almost have, have like a four day work week. And on the weekends, not do any work, just work on the house, spend time with John, spend time with the dog, the chickens, whatever. I've not been doing a great job of that so far at the beginning of the year. I'll be honest. But uh, I have been wanting to take more time just away from social media, away from being glued to the computer all the time, because that's the other big thing, right? Like pre-pandemic, I was already working from home on the computer all day, but then the pandemic hit. And then it was like, I was in a lot more meetings instead of being in person, a lot more Zoom calls. I have a lot more work piling on. It was easy to wake up and then spend all day and all night in front of a TV screen or not a TV screen in front of a computer screen. And then when I was done, I would go video game, which is just being in front of a screen again. And so um, I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional about being like, okay, I need to shut off the screens, including the video games, step outside, take the dog on a walk, just go outside and meditate, listen to some music, just chill for a bit. I'm trying to be more intentional about putting more of those breaks in my day. 
So I feel like that really makes a difference and that really helps. So that's, that's all I can think of right now. That's what I've been trying to do to work on the mental health <laughs> aspects of business and work. Yeah. Well, thank you. And John, go ahead and you share yours and then I'll dive in. For me, as far as like has mental health impact, my considerations for work and just, I'd say day-to-day -day routine, more of what Alyssa said, trying to find the better boundaries and overall work to life, I would say ratio every single day so I don't get lost to just being caught in the cyclone that is Zoom counseling. <laughs> I feel like I've lost a few screws in the last year and being able to step away from that and even doing something like this tonight. Like I had such a high degree of stress before coming to this because I was like, I have to look at a screen for another 45 minutes and record some shit. Like, I don't know if I can do it, but this is, this has been fun and I'm laughing and it's been, it's been good, but as far as work, even with me getting ready to, segue off into a new job here shortly the considerations i had to make even for doing that work was making sure that's different from what i'm doing now that it's focused that there's good communication that there's a solid team and leadership that i'm working under and that in of itself is worth its weight in gold and i'm hoping hoping that goes smoothly and that i can continue investing in the quieter parts of life, such as dog walks, reading, going outside, sitting out back with the chickens and realizing that there's more to it than sitting in front of a computer and putzing around money and all that stuff. So it's it's a lot to consider, but it's it's a never ending plate spin that I'm trying to do, so. Yeah, I think, you know, as a therapist and as a wife and as a sister and as a, daughter, there's so many people that need me all the time, it feels like. Um, and I, as Alyssa mentioned earlier, I'm not an Enneagram type two, but I am a three with a wing of two. So I have high desire to be achieving and produce and then also caregiving. So then there's this like whole thing of like, I need to be the best caregiver ever uh, that comes up. Like it's almost like an achievement to be a really good caregiver. For me so setting boundaries not just like in work but also in my personal life of like okay i have to say no to this like i can't meet that need right now is a like everyday struggle i think i don't know if you guys saw this on facebook recently but i like impulsively just say like yes to things like even in a simple game of like uno i'll be like oh you don't like that color i'll choose a different one because that's the one that you want all right let me care give for you in this like really stupid simple way right now and it's just it's something that i'm always trying to work towards and change my dog scratching at the door. Words <laughs> <laughs> change to be a better version of myself, so I can be a better therapist, so I can be a better wife, so I can be all the like better things, um, and be a better version of me. And I think perhaps like people, I want to throw my mom under the bus a little bit here, but I don't know if she ever really thought of that. It was always just like, oh, like of course I'm supposed to be like the best mom. Of course I'm supposed to be like the best wife. There was never any consideration of like, oh, I should take a step back and like take care of myself. I don't think she thought about that till like much later when we were all like adults 
And she was like, wait, what do I do now? <laughs> right? Like my whole life has been dedicated to taking care of my kids and doing my job. And now all I have is my job. Like, I'm not really sure what I should do with all this like time. So I'm hoping that by all of this thought that hopefully we're doing as millennials and maybe this generation about like focusing on balance and like self-care that we won't fall into the same traps that I think at least my parents um, fell into without knowing what to do when there was less people to take care of. They can already be like, oh, of course, now I'm going to take care of myself rather than being lost about what to do next. (laughs) So I'm hoping that I'll be able to have those boundaries and self-care already established. I believe in you. You can do it. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, any other further thoughts from either of you? I think I think we've rambled to a healthy extent here for any of your <laughs> listeners. God bless you for coming along on this on this crazy train here today. Um, yeah. Yeah. This thank you everybody for tuning in. And I hope that you took something out of this today. Um, so signing off. <laughs>